This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court, and I am pleased to announce that the New York Times named one of Bob's blogs as one of the go-to blogs for tech. And, and this is news to me, uh, but uh, so it so it is. Um, and yes, I write the blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about what makes a go-to lawyer and what makes a go-to law firm, uh, whether for individuals or for companies looking to hire outside counsel. Uh, many believe that a go-to lawyer possesses a certain confidence or style or other attributes. And there are others, Bob, that argue that go-to lawyers are great to work with and have an incredible work ethic. Well, what is it that makes a go-to lawyer? Uh, does a go-to lawyer have to be somewhat of a renaissance man or woman? Well, perhaps, but we're going to explore that topic today. We're also going to find out what makes a go-to firm. Is it really good results and smooth transactions or good client relations? What strengths and what weaknesses are there that uh, are in the bag of tricks from a go-to lawyer? Right. Well, to uh, to help us talk about these topics today, uh, we are going to have two guests on. And uh, first of all, let me introduce Dan DeLucio, Jr. Dan is a principal of Altman Weil Incorporated and a member of the board's, the uh, firm's board of directors. He's been providing management and consulting services to corporate law departments and law firms for more than two decades. Uh, Dan has also had dozens of articles published in legal publications, including Corporate Legal Times, Corporate Counsel, the National Law Journal, the American Lawyer, and many others. And uh, he recently wrote an article entitled, Are You a Go-To Lawyer? So welcome to the show, Dan. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And our other guest is Tamara Loomis. Tamara is a contributing writer for Corporate Counsel and just recently worked on the survey of the top firms who represent corporate America. You can check out Tamara's article entitled The Untouchables on the main page of the Corporate Council website. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, Dan, let's start with you. What do you think uh, constitutes a go-to lawyer? Well, that's a, that's a great question and actually has fascinated me for a number of years because I hear the term used uh, quite a bit by, by clients. Um, you know, this is my go-to lawyer. Uh, this is the person I have confidence in. And so I tried to actually articulate some of the attributes that someone like that might have and came up with a number of, uh, actually, some of them you've already mentioned. Um, you know, obviously, somebody who really knows the law, but, but not just knows the law, <clears throat> knows what to do with it, how to use the law to help, uh, you know, a business advance. Um, excellent communicator. Uh, would be another attribute. Um, a style. Uh, someone had mentioned style, and I, I think that's someone who's respectful of of the client and the client's position, but not cowed by the client um, at all, and can say uh, yes and and no in a uh, a very productive and constructive way. Um, knows the client's business. Um, has excellent judgment. Um, is willing to take a calculated risk with the client. Um, is 
as some call it, put skin in the game, um, has a good work ethic or a work ethic at least equivalent to, to their client and, uh, and a sense of urgency. So those are some of the attributes that we, we defined and identified as we looked at this whole idea. Well, this week, uh, Law.com and, and Corporate Council Magazine published their annual survey of, of uh, what makes a, a go-to law firm for uh, Fortune 250 GC. And uh, Tamara Loomis uh, wrote uh, uh, the feature story, kind of providing an overview and in, in digesting some of the, the key findings of that survey, which is available on Law.com this week. Uh, and at the Corporate Council website. It, Tamara, I wonder if you could just give us a, a kind of a, a thumbnail version of, of what uh, what a go-to law firm looks like, at least to the, to, the, to the Fortune 250 GC who are hiring them. Well, there's actually, in doing my research, I noticed there's actually a significant degree of consensus among general counsel about what makes them turn to a firm, um, such as, firms that have dominated um, our survey for the last five years, including uh, Kirkland and Ellis, um, Davis Polk, and Skadden Arps. Um, one thing they talk about a lot is these firms have depth. They have lawyers at the bottom of the lineup that are just as strong as, as the ones at the top. Um, for instance, one, one general counsel I talked to named John Leakey, Leakley, who's the general counsel of Masco Corporation, says he's on his um, fourth billing partner at Davis Polk. He's been using them for transactional matters for about since the mid '80s. He says that normally he looks for an individual lawyer to work with, but he's had such a great experience with all the Davis Polk lawyers that he's not too concerned whether a particular lawyer is available for a matter. Um, but that's not to say that the firm needs to be an expert in every area, just in key areas, um, especially. With big litigations, companies more and more are hiring more than one firm to cover all the bases. Um, for instance, Kirkland and Ellis, is, is, which is dominates um, on the litigation side, is known more for its general litigation practice than for its specialization in any particular area. Um, and, for example, uh, Verizon, who's one of their um, one of their big clients recently faced a tough, tough environmental case in New York, and it ended up hiring Kirkland for its courtroom skills and bringing in Paul Hastings for its environmental expertise. Well, what does it say about the conventional wisdom that lawyers hire, uh, that clients hire lawyers and not firms? It sounds like you're saying just the opposite. Well, I'm not really saying just the opposite. I think it is generally true that when you talk to general counsel, they do typically hire lawyers and not firms. But there are certain instances um, where they will turn to a firm to handle something. And I think those instances tend to be um, really kind of what you would call bet-the-company um, matters, big, big litigations or big corporate um, mergers, for instance. And in those cases, they, they, there, there seems to be a, trend, a, a tendency to go to the so-called marquee firms, the firms that are really known in that area um, for their expertise. You know, uh, Craig and Bob, uh, one of the things that uh, Tamara just said was, uh, and, and I think she started out with the idea of the firms having depth, um, lots of depth, and, and 
and you can go to almost any lawyer in that firm and have a very good experience. And and that suggests to me um, taking the the kind of the go-to concept that the firm is full of go-to lawyers um, that they that they uh, focus on and commit themselves to the kinds of attributes that um, that you're looking for. Well, isn't there also a security blanket issue here? I mean, that 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 fir- clients tend to go with certain firms, especially in the bet the company kinds of matters that you're talking about, uh, Tamara. Uh, because uh, it's the safe choice, because you know nobody's going to question the choice of that firm if, if the deal goes wrong or the litigation goes bad. Oh, I think that's absolutely right, and I think Dan would agree, wouldn't you? Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, we're we're when we look at the industry now, the legal industry, we we've been categorizing the the legal work into kind of three categories: what we call strategic uh, legal work, which is uh, what you would refer to as you bet the company kind of uh, work, um, important work. It's got to be done well, um, but it's important to the company, not strategic. And then the repetitive, or in some instances, what's referred to now as even commodity type of work. And at the strategic level, that that is really almost price insensitive type of work. Uh, the important work becomes more price sensitive, and of course the repetitive and commodity work is is almost totally price sensitive in in this environment. Where does that leave the small to mid-sized firm if the corporate counsel though are looking for the the premier law firms and the safe bet for the kind of litigation that we're talking about? How does a small firm compete? Uh it's uh that's a it's a great question. There's uh there's certainly a lot of legal work out there. Uh, with the number of lawyers we have, you know, in the U.S. today, we know it's a competitive uh, environment. We we know that it's a consolidating uh, industry, so um, it leaves them in a very tough uh, position to try to break into uh, that strategic work and the uh, and and break in with the brand name firms. Tomorrow, what does your sur- does your survey find anything on that? I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, are, are there areas where smaller firms have a better chance? I'm thinking of labor and employment for one, which can sometimes be a, a bit more boutique of a of a practice. Um, are there areas where smaller firms have an advantage, or at least a better chance in in going for GC business? Uh, sure, I think that there there there's um, a couple of I have a couple of thoughts on that. The first is that our survey limits. Um, our survey limits the responses in each of the practice areas to seven primary firms. Um, even with convergence, which is the process by which um, general counsel um, reduce the number of firms they use, most Fortune 250 companies still use well over 100 law firms regularly. And there's, there's just a ton of legal work. It's not necessarily... So there, there are plenty of... They're, and they're using plenty of smaller and mid-sized firms. They might not necessarily end up in our survey um, because we, we limit the general counsel to, to only seven firms, but they're still being used. The second thing, um, as you pointed out, Bob, is that certain firms, certain mid-sized firms have, can, have developed or have a boutique practice in which they can dominate um, Labor and employment is a very stable area. Um, you see some big firms there, like Morgan Lewis, but you also see 
um, some boutique firms like Littler Mendelssohn who um, are really right at the top there, and they've stayed there for the last five years. There's just not a lot of movement uh, in labor and employment. And IP as well, interestingly, there's all this talk about how general litigation firms are, or general practice firms are moving into the IP um, space because um, because it's so lucrative and there's more and more um, focus on intellectual property. But if you look at our survey results, there's remarkable stability in IP as well. And the top, the top firms are still about half and half um, boutique and general practice firms. Dan, you mentioned that GCs are not at all price sensitive about someone who's doing strategic counseling. What's involved with strategic counseling, and what kind of a lawyer does that kind of counseling? Well, I think those are the uh, the firms that um, that uh, Tamara's mentioning. You know, the uh, the go to firms, the top firms, the firms that you recognize, the brand names. So she mentions, um, you know, in the uh, employment area, uh, Morgan Lewis. I mean, that's a you know that's kind of a strategic level firm, and, and um, you might also find uh, strategic work differing for each company. So um, in some cases, it might be mergers and acquisitions work. In other cases, it might be uh, securities work. And in some cases, it might be um, litigation, um, uh, you know, kind of a you-bet-your-company uh, type of litigation. So that would be the what what I'd refer to as as a strategic work, and a general counsel is generally going to look for a firm and a firm name with which he could go back to the board and say, you know, we hired the best to handle this situation. It was that important to us. Something that that's gotten a lot of uh, attention uh, in the last couple of years has been a number of initiatives by GC to promote diversity in their outside firms, whether uh, racial ethnic diversity or also gender diversity. Um, Dan or, or Tamar, I'm wondering, from your experience, is, is this lip service or is this becoming a real factor in hiring outside firms and, and retaining outside firms? Um, I, I, uh, Dan, I, I, I think that uh, clearly uh, it is uh, becoming a major factor for many corporations when they look to their outside counsel and in fact have uh, spoken with uh, some corporations who have said they have um, terminated their relationships with uh, law firms either because they weren't responding or uh, weren't moving towards the diversity profile that they thought they should have. Um, and I would add to that to say that um, there's, a, there's another factor at work here. I think there's been a push for diversity um, by corporate counsel for quite some time. Um, but what's really changing right now, I think, is the makeup of um, in-house legal departments. If you look at in-house legal departments, there, there really are many, t- typically many more women and minority lawyers in-house than there are in your typical um, outside law firm. And... There, that's, law firms are feeling pressure from that as well. I mean, when you come in for a meeting with, um, with your in-house counsel and, say, three women and two African-Americans are sitting across the table from you, you're going to feel there's going to be a, a, a level of 
at, at least discomfort if you're sitting there and you're all, you know, older white men. I, I think some, I've heard some companies actually be expressed about that. I mean, they've, they've actually said that they want their outside firms to, to somewhat mirror their, their own internal achievements in terms of achieving diversity and, and uh, you know, gender and, and racial diversity. Exactly. I think um, corporations have been um, ahead, of, ahead of this issue because their, their customers, especially for you think about their customers are diverse, and um, so there's pressure from there's pressure on corporations to diversify their workforce, including their in-house legal departments. Um, in terms, and then so law firms are really kind of the next wave of that because law firms haven't felt that pressure from clients um, because from client corporations until the client corporations have already gone through their diversification of their workforce. If that makes sense. Let's flip the coin here for a second and look at the other side and see what it is that makes a, a lawyer become one of those lawyers that corporate counsel run away from. <laughs> <laughs> a go-from lawyer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what are the traits of a, a run-away-from lawyer? Well, I think it's um, uh, to, to a great extent uh, what I often hear referred to as a naysayer. Um, that would be a, a lawyer who um, finds it fairly easy to say no to a complicated issue. Uh, the law won't permit that. We can't go in that direction without offering um, an alternative or without trying to explore with the client how to achieve their objectives. And that seems to be a, a major um, problem with uh, the go-from lawyer. I think hand-in-hand hand with that is um, a sense that I've gotten talking to general counsel about um, being unresponsive, being, being, um, not being willing to go the extra distance, you know, not really, just not being there. I mean, it, if, it makes sense to me. If you're unpleasant to work with and difficult to work with, then they're not going to come back. If I could expand on that, as, as competitive as the industry is right now, to continue to hear stories about a lack of responsiveness or timeliness truly is an amazing thing uh, to me, and we still hear that all the time from in-house counsel. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Dan DeLucio and Tamara Loomis. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. 
Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We're talking about go-to lawyers and go-to firms. Joining us today is Dan DeLuccio, principal of Altman Weil, and Tamara Loomis, contributing writer for Corporate Counsel. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. How far does a, a lawyer have to go to be a uh, go-to lawyer in terms of corporate counsel? I mean, what kind of demands do corporate counsel place on lawyers to fall into this category? Well, I think the uh, the demands are high today. It's a, you know, as I mentioned, a competitive environment, and um, corporate counsel have very high expectations of their outside counsel today. Uh, they expect them to uh, be engaged, to know their business, uh, to know the industry that they're working in, um, to understand the corporate culture, um, and to um, I say this uh, it sounds generic, but to to really add value to not only uh, you know practice law and provide excellent services uh, to the corporation, but um, also to um, make extra services available to pass on information that they might have that would be um, valuable to the client um, to um, uh, help train and develop uh, the in-house lawyers, keep them up to speed. So there's, there's a pretty high expectation today, I think a pretty high bar. Let me, Tamara, the uh, corporate council has been doing this survey. I believe it's been five years, uh, and uh, your article points out that that in your comments today point out that that the the uh, to some extent it's remained the usual suspects on on this list. So uh, my question is, from talking to GCs and and others, did you get any sense of how how a firm breaks onto this list? How does a, a sort of a, a second tier or even a, a top tier, bottom of the top tier firm break onto this go-to list? How do they prove themselves uh, worthy, I guess? Well, it's um, it's tough. I mean, if you look at the... This year what I did um, was a little different. Um, I, I looked at... Each year um, there's been very, very little movement. Um, from year to year. So I was interested in figuring out whether that was the case over the last five years. And indeed it is. There's a remarkably cons- uh, consistent stable of firms that dominate um, the, uh, the the list of go-to firms. So it is really, really tough. Um, I would say that, well, one way one way firms are doing it is through mergers. Um, it 
if you look at the top ten, size does make a difference. And um, I think that that is, you know, first, um, bigger firms mean more lawyers, mean more business from Fortune 250 firms. Um, but also, um, the convergence process has effect, effects, tends to favor bigger firms as well, um, because bigger firms are typically better equipped to handle a wider array of matters and across a wider geographic spread, since they have more lawyers and more practice areas and they have more offices. Um, and bigger firms are also, typically also have deeper pockets, so they can better accommodate um, alternative fee arrangements that often go hand-in-hand with the convergence process. So mergers is one way to do it. Um, I don't know. Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, if if you have an opportunity, number one, to capitalize on, um, on uh, you know, the convergence program and, and sometimes on conflict situations where, um, you know, someone may be conflicted out, you may have an opportunity to... Uh, Develop some work, and and often if you're on the other side of a transaction, a case, or a matter, and can impress um, uh, the client, um, that that's another opportunity. But but I I agree with Tamara that um, you know it is difficult. Uh, the convergence programs uh, do look to the large firms because you are as a corporation trying to leverage your purchasing power, and to the extent you can consolidate that work and your spending with uh, you know, with one firm, you do have an opportunity to leverage some of that purchasing power. Does location matter? Is Can a firm in Detroit be competitive with a firm in New York City? Um, it, it, can they? Yes, they can. Um, uh, but, but location can al- also matter in terms of uh, needs of the client. Um, you know, if they need multiple offices, if they need a global scope, a national scope, or regional scope, that all comes into play. Now, with technology... Um, and access to information and communications, it's reduced that need a little bit, but sometimes it's just real important to to be in a specific location. Tamara, have you ever t- thought about surveying uh, more than the Fortune 250 and maybe pursuing uh, regional-style interviews or even mid-level companies instead of the great big ones? Well, um, has corporate counsel done that? I um, I, I really can't answer that question. I don't know. But I know that um, American Lawyer, which is a sibling publication, looks at um, the Fortune, oh, not the Fortune, the American Lawyer 200, which are the, the, the second, well, which are the firms that rank from 2 to 400 in the, um, in the overall rankings of re- revenue, profitability, number of lawyers, et cetera. We're about out of time here, uh, and we want to give you each an opportunity to, to give us your final thoughts on this and also to tell our listeners how they can find more about you and uh, your work in this area. So, Dan, let's start with you and uh, some some any wrap-up thoughts on this issue, and, and where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, well, thanks. Um, and just in terms of wrap-up, I think it's um, extraordinarily important this uh, at this time and in, in, in the industry at this uh, point to Think about being uh, what it means to be a go-to lawyer and why clients are selecting either specific lawyers or firms to maintain a, a competitive advantage. And, um, yeah, I'd like to thank you for having me today. If, if anyone would like to reach me, 
I can be reached through uh, the Altman Weil website, which is www.altmanweil.com, or um, you can send me an email at djdilucchio at altmanweil.com. And Tamara, what are your final thoughts, and how do people get a hold of you? Well, um, I think that... um I, you know, I, I think that despite the stability among, in the, in the, the stability in the legal profession and the, um, the parent dominance of certain firms, um, on the other hand, it's, there are plenty of once dominant firms who've been relegated to the scrap heap of history. Um, and the legal profession is, is much, is more competitive than ever. Any firm or any lawyer would be making a mistake to rest on their laurels, and 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 you know there's there's still lots of room for lawyers to become go-to lawyers, and there's still lots of room for firms to become go-to firms. Um, again, I'd like to also thank you for putting me on your show. It's been fun, um, and I can be reached at T Loomis T L O O M I S at optonline, optonline.net, um, or you could call me at 914-302-6068. Thanks again. And the Corporate Council survey can be found at corpcouncil.com, not corporatecouncil.com, but corpcouncil.com, and uh, the, some of the charts and tomorrow's story can be found there. So, Thanks a lot to both of you for participating in the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And, Bob, that wraps it up for Coast to Coast this week. We'll be back again next week. And uh, glad to have a co-host that's a go-to tech blogger. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. A pleasure to speak to you all. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.